But right now, on the Harbor One Hotline, joining us on a sad day for uh, the Red Sox organization and and the city after the the passing of Jerry Remy, it is Sean McDonough. Hey, Sean. Hey, Greg Wiggy. Good morning. Morning. How did Sean? I don't know if I know the story. How did how did you and Jerry get started together? Well, we actually both started, I believe, the same year, 1988. You know, I started out on the old WSBK TV 38 with Bob Montgomery. And uh, Jerry began with Ned Martin on Nesson, the late, great Ned Martin. And, you know, for eight years, we did not work together. We were both doing Red Sox games, but with somebody else. And then when the games moved to Channel 68, they decided they wanted, you know, the same color commentator on every game. So... You know, they hired Jerry to do that, and, and we got together to do about half the games back then. And, you know, obviously the rest is history. It was a wonderful nine years working with him. Uh, you know, it was fun to watch kind of his um, evolvement into the Remdog. You know, when he first started out, by his own admission, he was kind of reluctant to put that great personality that we all came to know and love into the broadcast. You know, he... I think he felt like he, if he did, it would be calling attention to himself, and that was really the last thing he wanted to do. He just thought he should be a broadcaster. But you know, over time, more and more of that came out. And you know, I've worked with hundreds of analysts in all the different sports at all these places that I've worked. I've kept a list, and the last I looked, it was 160 different people. And you know, it, not, nothing felt as uh, special as the nine years I spent with Jerry. Well, uh, Curtis mentioned during his lead this morning that 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 Jerry was great because he was himself, and I, I we were talking earlier about guys who make that transition from playing to to broadcasting, and it's hard for me. Wiggy brought up Tommy Heinsohn. I it's hard for me to think of another guy who became as good at at being himself as as Jerry did. Yeah, I think that's exactly the reason why a lot of people have asked me the last few days, you know, why was he so beloved? Why was he so popular? And I think that's it, because he was authentic and people knew that he was. And when you're a baseball broadcaster, you're on every night. So, you know, and there's so much dead time where the broadcaster is telling stories or interacting with his or her partner. And, you know, so people got to know Jerry. I mean, he was on countless hours in all of our homes. So, you know, people knew that he was real, that the way he talked on the air was the way he talked off the air. If he got, you know, if he got cranky about how long the game was going, uh, you know, that's something he would have been saying when he was sitting in front of the TV watching a Red Sox game. So I think it was the authenticity that he really was true to himself that was the biggest part of why he was so popular, in addition to just being a tremendous analyst. Sean, talk about that a little bit more, because I know as a fan who – you know, listens to a broadcast and hears certain people. For me, it was Tommy Heinsohn, obviously, Ramdog. I didn't know him personally, but a lot of people did talk about he was the same guy that you heard on the broadcast as he was off the broadcast. Talk about how special it is to work with people who aren't, you know, kind of two-facing, who are 100% when you see them on the broadcast, out of the broadcast, wherever it is, being that, that authentic person. Yeah, and you know what? The, the interesting part of that too, Wiggy, to me was, and you guys know because you've met Jerry a number of times over the years. You know, the he wasn't always comfortable in social settings. I mean, even though he was the man of the people and as popular as anybody in New England and the president of Red Sox Nation, 
know, when he walked down the street, he wasn't high-fiving people and shaking every hand and back-slapping people. And it wasn't that he was unfriendly, but that wasn't really his comfort zone. You know, it was, it was interesting because, uh, you know, that part of him on TV was actually a little bit different than the way he was in real life. But, you know, I think, you know, like I worked with Bill Raftery for a long, long time on basketball, and he's enormously popular. And it's the same exact thing. You know, he's fun-loving and, you know, sounds like the kind of guy you'd want to go have a beer with, and that's exactly what he is and who he is. So um, I think people sense that when they watch him on TV. But it was really special for me. The most, and I'm sure, you know, Don Rosillo would say the same thing, and Dave O'Brien would say the same thing, and all the other people who had the pleasure of working with Jerry. You know, it you knew because he was so good that when you showed up, you had the chance to be a part of a broadcast that was going to be really good because he was great. So, uh, and, you know, it's just, it was such a blessing to be his friend. You know, he's one of those people that uh, whenever you talk to him on the phone, had a text from him, saw him in person, you know, you looked forward to it. It wasn't just, hey, hey, Jerry, how you doing? You know, it always, uh, you always felt blessed to be in his company or be interacting with him. Was there a moment or two, Sean, that stands out specifically from uh, your time together in the booth? Well, most of them are the funny things, you know, that, uh, that um, you know, when the game was 12-1, to 1, to me that was the most fun part of working with him, and I think that's really what endeared him to the viewers was that that's when his sense of humor came out. I mean, he had the good sense, hopefully we all did, that, you know, when it's 4-3 to three in the bottom of the night, <clears throat> you're not talking about Wally the Green Monster or doing haiku poetry or, you know, some of the other things that we did back in the day, so... You know, I, I, there's there's a lot of them. You know, I know uh, with Don, the the pizza throwing thing is legendary <laughs> and as it should be. Yeah. You know, we had uh, a few things that resemble that. I, I think that the one that always comes to mind with me is we had Judge Judy on one night, uh, <laughs> and her uh, her show was being carried on. I think it was Channel Four when uh, when we were there because Jerry and I bounced around to a couple of different stations together: Channel Twenty Five, Channel Sixty Eight, but. Um, we had her on. She was going to be at the game at Fenway with her grandchildren. So we had her on. It was okay. I mean, she wasn't warm and friendly, but she was interesting. I mean, she's Judge Judy. She's uh, the highest paid person on, on TV. And uh, But when she left, we always had Dunkin' Donuts in the back of the booth. You know, we had boxes of Dunkin' Donuts and coffee. And um, when they took a shot of her back in sitting in the stands with her grandchildren, and they had taken a, a box of donuts, at least a box of donuts, and uh, – so that evolved into Jerry being very funny for quite a while, talking about how you know we probably have a legal action against her because she basically stole the donuts out of our booth. And, and we kept taking shots of them, and the kids are stuffing their face with donuts. And um, so you know he could take something like that and turn it into uh, an inning or two, or really nine innings of a recurring uh, joke. But um, yeah, that's part of what made him special too. You know that. And he had a great sense of humor and, and was not afraid to share it. Well, he was one, he was one of a kind. He, he, uh, well, he, he became so good at that job, and he, he, he will be greatly missed. Uh, yes, Curtis? Well, one thing well, I wanted I to get... The other thing, you know, whenever I think about Jerry and that I would want people to know, you know, and, and hopefully they did because there's been a lot written and said about Jerry over the years. So, he worked incredibly hard on it. If it was a 7 o'clock game, you know, he was there by 1 o'clock in the afternoon. He was in the clubhouse. He had a great relationship with the managers, and in particular recently, obviously, Alex Cora. You know, he knew what was going on. He didn't just show up and, 
you know, react to things that he saw uh, happening on the field based on his, you know, playing ability and his experience. So he, he worked to get information about both teams, and um, that was a big part of it, too. He didn't just lean on his personality in the fact he played. Uh, he was as well-prepared as anybody I've ever worked with, too. You're saying he's like me. He was here two to three hours before the broadcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Two to three day. minutes is yes. not two to three hours. <laughs> uh, Sean, but the, the thing that I that stands out to me among all the other things is, that you've uh, eloquently discussed is that even within this Red Sox broadcast recently, there has been a spat, albeit I think that they were that David Price and others were wrong to be mad at Dennis Eckersley, but the fact that Jerry Remy, for as long as he did this, maintained such a relationship with the players from the 90s, early 2000s through now. Can you talk about how exactly that manifested itself, and was that just because he was he was always in the clubhouse to answer questions if people were mad at what he said? Yeah, I, I think that is uh, the biggest part of it. You know, he had relationships with all those people, and, you know, they knew that he was around. You know, I remember when I was starting out, my dad said, well, if you're going to be critical from time to time, you better make sure that you're in the clubhouse or on the field during batting practice the next day. But if somebody wants to say something to you, they have the opportunity to do that. And I think the first couple of years when I started out, yeah, I really felt for a couple of years ago at that ridiculous episode with David Price because I had a number of those myself when, uh, when I started out. You know, when I started back in the late 80s, early 90s, the, the team had a, a few more people who probably well, weren't. Uh, as reluctant to come after you as they do now, uh, you know those sorts of things don't happen as much as they they used to. But it happened to me several times. And, but um, no, I think it's because he had relationships with them. They knew he was in there every day, and he wasn't a bomb tosser. I, I think because of who he was and how he did the job, you know, he wasn't afraid to say something critical. It wasn't that they all loved him because he wouldn't say anything negative. You know, he he said what he felt needed to be said if somebody wasn't playing well, if the team wasn't playing well. But you know, he did it in a respectful way and um, you know i think they realized that if he was saying something negative about them they probably deserved to have it said john i appreciate you joining us this morning and, and sharing some thoughts on jerry well i appreciate you having me on a tough day you know a really tough uh time and uh, my heart goes out to phoebe and the family and uh all of us who love jerry and everybody who mourns but uh it's also a great opportunity to talk about a subject. Uh, that's awesome. He'll be missed, and uh, I'm just happy knowing he's at peace now, not in pain, because as we all know, he, he battled for a long time.